0: I'm glad that as a Christian, I don't have to invent or construct an understanding of God beyond the limits of what he has already revealed in his word. And we need to be very careful about how we perceive God, how we paint a picture of who God is. 99.9% of the will of God can be found in the word of God. That's why it's so important for us. To get into the Word of God because that's what the Spirit of God, you know, drives into us. He l- reveals us all truth to the Word. And we can't invent way or we can't construct a, 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 an understanding of God's will based on our circumstances, based on how we feel, based on how we see the world is going, okay? God reveals to us things about Him in Scriptures, And there's no such thing as new revelations from God. When somebody says, well, you know, I heard a fresh understanding of God. Please, God has already revealed himself through his word. And what we say are new revelations are nothing more than a rediscovery of what God has already revealed about himself. So we're not called to come up with all kinds of new teachings and new constructs about who God is. Because he revealed himself to us. And that's how we know that our love for God is authenticated. We have a continuous desire to know what God has already said. About who he is. That's important. I mean, how many things we see uh, people saying uh, that are really inconsistent with, with what God has already revealed, okay? So I'm glad, and you should be glad, that as Christians, we already have a revelation from God of who he is. And all we need to do is to look at it, and the Spirit of God gives us fresh insights on those things that he has already revealed you know you you will find yourself reading the bible and discovering uh, or rediscovering insights that you have never seen before but they're not new they've been there and god is just saying okay for this time and this season in your life this will be my word for you and it doesn't mean that that's a new word it simply means we're rediscovering it for the first time. Every follower of Christ has a desire to know the very heart of God. When Jesus was here on earth, he really messed up people's conception of what it means to pursue God. Okay? The nation at the time uh, when Jesus was ministering in this world, uh, th- the nation was steeped in religious culture. While the Romans and Greeks ran rampant in their pagan idol worship. Now, Jesus came into the scene and not only did he come to save lost humanity by offering forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation to those who believe, but he also lived out what's in the heart of God. While religiosity is geared towards pacifying and appeasing God as its primary goal, Jesus came and said to his disciples and he said to everyone, I have food that none of you know about. My food is to do the will of my Father. So Jesus didn't just come, you know, to offer salvation to the world. He didn't just come to offer us redemption, and he did that primarily to to save humanity through faith in him. But he also demonstrated the heart of God in the way he lived out his life. What sustained us, what will sustain us in times of hardships, what will sustain us in the challenges that life will offer, When we th- wh- where do we get the courage and the resolve and the confidence to go through them? What kind of power do we really have to deal with the, the depressing things that are going on? We all know that God's grace is sufficient. We all know that God is forgiving. We all know that God is merciful. But what will really bring us through them is our continuous desire to know what God is doing, to know what the will of God is. What we pursue in the inside as we deal with the things that are going on on the outside has everything to do with our continuous desire desire, and intention to know the will of God. And the Holy Spirit helps us in that endeavor. That's why the Spirit came. You know? So, so we'll need, we need to be attentive to the kinds of things that, that, uh, that we go through in life. We need to be attentive with what's going on. We need to actually really filter them out with the Word of God. Uh, Psalm 62, verses 5 and 7, David says this, Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock and my refuge. You know, David penned those words not just because he wants to recite a mantra, to make him feel better in the situation that he was in. He didn't, s- he didn't write those words simply to convince himself that he is serving a powerful God. He knew who God is. He knew it in the very deepest recesses of his being. Why? Because the Bible says that David continuously, continuously ran After the will of God, you know, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. You know what that means? That means David ran after the heart of God. That's what it means. He made it his preoccupation to determine what God's will is, what God likes, what he didn't like, what makes God happy, what makes God sad, what makes God, you know, uh, excited. Whatever. The Bible says that David went after it. That's why he's a man after God's heart. Okay. David further says, your word I have hidden in my heart so I will not offend you by sinning. So that I will not transgress by doing the things that you don't desire. So the first sign that our love for God is authentic is that there's that continuous desire to know the heart of God. Now, there's a second mark of loving God that is driven by the Spirit, and that is there is a constant determination to make God happy. So it's not just a matter of uh, knowing the heart of God or continuously um, finding what God's will is, but there's also that something in the inside of us. There's that s- constant determination to, to really make God happy. Look at verses 10 to 11. It says, "so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience." Again, not only do we have a continuous desire to know the heart of God, but we also determined to make him happy. That's a question we need to ask. Uh, Do we have that constant determination to please God, to make Him happy? There's this misconception that enters our minds uh, every time we hear the words, God loves you just the way you are. You know, we preachers are guilty of sometimes using those words to entice people to come to a relationship with God. And you know, uh, sometimes we, we take it too far and we, we seem to, you know, to convey this idea that God is interested in just saving us. And, of course, God wants to save every person. Of course, that's his desire. Of course, that's his plan for humanity. But when we say things like, oh, God loves you just the way you are, we need to understand what we mean when we say that, when we invite people to a relationship with God, when we when we engage God in worship. We need to understand what we mean by that. You know, the Bible, the New Testament uh, there's 27 books in the New Testament, 27 of them, okay? Four of them, you know, we, we, we're familiar with. They're the Gospels. They're written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? The Four Gospels. That's, that's, the, that's the first four books of the New Testament. There's a book of history in the Bible. That's the book of Acts. That's... Um, talks about the history of the church, how the church came came about, and how the Holy Spirit has superintended the spread of the church throughout the world. Okay, and there's one book uh, that talks about future events and about prophecies and things like that. And of course, that's the book of Revelation. But a staggering 21 books in the New Testament, most of them are letters by the Apostle Paul. 21 out of 27 of the books in the Bible talks about how we ought to live as Christians. So if you think about it, God is not just interested in us knowing about the good news of the gospel. God is not just interested in us getting saved and going to heaven when we die. He wrote the Bible, and a large portion of it, the majority <laughs> of the New Testament talks about how we ought to live this world so God in this world, so God is interested in how we live our lives He's interested in making sure that we live a life that He exchanged for the life of his son okay so how uh, h- how do we please God how how do we make God happy? Through the, through the life that we live out. Well, there, there's a couple of things, three things based on, they're all written in, that in those verses, okay? How do we make God happy? Number one, again, by living a, lo- a pleasing life, okay? A life that is not perfect but is predisposed to honoring God. You know, that's how we, we, we check ourselves, okay? When we, when we, as we go through life, I mean, there are things in, in our lives that we always have to examine. The Bible calls us to examine ourselves daily to see if we are in the faith. It's not talking about whether you are in the faith, whether you're gonna be, you are going to be lost or you're going to stay saved. It has nothing to do with that. When the Bible compels us to examine ourselves on a daily basis, it's, it's, it's pushing us to ask ourselves the question, am I living a life pleasing to God? Now, we're not perfect people. We make mistakes. We do all kinds of stupid things. But a heart that loves God and a heart that is driven by the Spirit of God has a predisposition to honor God. So we need to examine that in ourselves, okay? Uh, There is that desire, not only desire, but a predisposition to honor God, okay? You're not a perfect husband. I'm not a perfect husband, but I am predisposed to pleasing my, w- my wife, okay? I'm not, a, I'm not a, a, a perfect person at work. I make mistakes at work, but my predisposition is to do a good job, and so those are signs. Those are things that we can practically, you know, see in the way we live, and there are signs that, that they are from the Spirit of God, when we are predisposed to honoring God in everything that we do. Secondly, a, a productive life. Okay, God is happy when we live productive lives. The Bible says, bearing fruits. What kinds of fruits? Fruits of righteousness, yeah, fruits of kindness, uh, s- uh, self-discipline. Y- y- you, know, you know Galatians 5, you, you read those things, you know. Uh, when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, okay, productive lives. We need to take a good look at our lives, create an inventory uh, of the stages in our life, begin to examine how much we have grown. Uh, we're finishing 2020, and the new year is going to come upon us. Uh, this time of the year is a good time to reflect on how we have grown, not only in, in, in our own personal lives, but in more importantly in our relationship with God, how much we have grown in being gracious, uh, how much we have grown in being patient, how much we have grown and have matured in in the areas of kindness and generosity, in in our relationship with people, how much of the likeness of Jesus have been molded in our lives up to this point. It's all part of loving God. It's all part of showing our affection for God. Uh, We're also planning to make the most of our time uh, here on earth. Uh, no matter how big or how small our plans are, we evaluate them according to how much it's going to put pleasure in the heart of God. And thirdly, God is happy when we live a powerful life. It pleases God. Powerful lives, pleases God. That simply means you and I don't cave in to pressures and to trials. But we hold firmly to our confession of faith. We you and I don't crumble and we don't compromise our conviction when we encounter trials and problems in life. You know, when, when the devil attacks us, and he does attack us, okay? And, and if you're a Christian, uh, don't let anybody tell you that the devil doesn't exist, okay? But he does. His preoccupation, and listen very carefully, he's not interested... In you serving him, he's not interested in any one of us worshiping him. His main goal is to make sure that your affection and my affection towards God is confused, is messed up. That's his number one, you know, MO you know people mistakenly think that hey you know I don't want to serve the devil I don't want to worship the devil and all of that so forget that you know he's not interested he know he knows he he cannot get that kind of I mean, yeah, I mean there's plenty of people who worship the devil anyway but if you and I we we live in a different plane we're not we're, we're not aware we're not supposed to be preoccupied with thinking that we're you know we're being enticed by the devil to follow him or to serve him or to worship him nothing of the sort what, what the devil tries to do is to take that affection away there's a, you know if, if he can mess up our desire to love god by attacking our convictions by bringing us into places in life where we're going to crumble i mean he would have accomplished his task and you and i must live a powerful life, and a powerful life is not, you know, you can, you know, you, you you live a completely blessed life, trouble-free, and all of these blessings come upon your way, nothing of the sort. A powerful life is a life that doesn't cave in to the pressures to compromise our conviction. So loving God is not just be having that desire to know the will of God, there's also a, a determination to make God happy. And there's a third uh, mark of loving God in the spirit. I think I mentioned four things, but I'm only going to go with three <laughs> this morning. And that is a commitment to declare our godly heritage. Loving God in the spirit means we make a commitment to declare That our heritage is a godly heritage. Look at verse 12. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of God. To love God is not to be ashamed to be godly. I mean that may be a simple statement to many of us in our hearing. But that's what it means to love God. To live a godly life. Okay, uh, let me address some of the younger people in in, in here this morning. Okay, uh, Ecclesiastes 12.1 says, uh, actually, David declares this: "It says, seek God early in life. Remember the Lord in the days of your youth." Okay, it's very important for the young people here today to understand. That you're not going to be young forever. And the wisest thing, the wisest advice (laughs) any preacher, anybody can give you for that matter is to worship the Lord and serve the Lord in the days of your youth. You will never, ever, ever, ever regret it. You know, sometimes we hear people uh, giving testimonies. You know, I've been, you know. I've heard so many testimonies about uh, men and women already later in their lives, okay? They uh, they give you the horror stories of their lives, and w- you know, really how they've gone through the, some of the darkest things human beings are capable of going through, dark moments in life, Ooh. really, really, really messed up lives, and then they encountered the grace of God and heard the gospel, and they became Uh, witnesses to the power of the gospel to transform lives and that's wonderful you know they're powerful testimonies they reach us they touch us they give us faith they give us confidence that God is really doing a great thing in people's lives but let me tell you something while you're young worship the Lord your testimony as a young person who loved God early in life is just as powerful maybe more powerful than the ones who discovered him later You know, sometimes we don't want to testify because, you know, know, I just don't have a lot of dramatic things to say. Don't worry about that. If you serve the Lord in the days of your youth, you don't have to worry about dramatic things. All you need to say is, God has been faithful all the days of my life. That's a good testimony. That's a wonderful thing to say to people. Because God has been good. And God says... I know you even from the day you were born. Every person had a call from God. God has a purpose for everybody. And yet, you know, this world can be very, 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 very deceptive. The devil is going to come after you. He's going to go and do everything he can because he has one goal, and that is to remove that affection, remove that desire, remove that determination for you to worship God because the longer you worship the Lord in your life, the more powerful you become. And that's a heritage. Parents, let us declare the Lord to our children and never be ashamed to be godly in front of them. It is a heritage that God gave us. As a father, God wants us to declare that to, to our children, to his children, who he is. And so we need to do the same thing. We need to declare God and godliness to our children so that they can declare it to their children and to their children's Children, let us declare that the Lord our God is God of our lives and that we show loyalty to God. You know, you don't have to be a perfect parent. I don't know of any perfect parent. I've never met a perfect parent. I'm not a perfect parent. None of us are perfect. But you know what? It's not an excuse for us to declare a godly heritage. To show them that God is real in our lives and that we're loyal to God. You know, that will matter. Uh, the pro- th- there's, a, there's a verse in Proverbs that we all recite, you know. Uh, it says something like, uh, train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. That's not a promise. That's not a guarantee. We have godly people whose children, uh, you know, go way, wayward. You know, that's, that's, that's not a guarantee. But, but the wisdom of that verse is very clear. It's up to us to declare godliness in our own lives in the seeing of our children, in the seeing of the people who are close to us. When they can see that we're godly, they make a decision to depart from God, but they can never go back and say, that person drove me to that ungodliness. And that's important, Okay. Uh, We're all going to leave this earth as as parents, you know, and the greatest thing we can ever leave our children, and it's a cliche, I know, and uh, sometimes, you know, I, I don't, I feel like I don't have to say this, but the greatest thing that we can leave our children, not just our children, the greatest thing that we can leave this world when we die is the fact that we had pursued godliness. Not perfection in life, uh, not having not made any mistakes, not any of that, but the fact that we pursued God, that we believe that long after we're dead, God's name will be honored in our lives. That's a heritage that, that I, as a parent, would like to leave my children. My children knows how imperfect their father is, and they know how imperfect you are too as parents. We all are, but you know what? I want them to recognize that God was the ultimate pursuit of my life. In all of my imperfection, in all of our imperfection, we put God at the forefront of our lives. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance In his holy people. God says. I have given you life. And I have. Blessed your life. We respond to that by saying. That the rest of our life. Is about making sure. That we love God. In the spirit. The only authentic way. Of pursuing God. Are those three things. A. Desire to know. Art of God. A determination to make God happy and uh, a continuous commitment to declare our godly heritage in front of the world.